Welcome to Develop Lex, Middle Tech's newest series sponsored by SVM Stone Commercial Real Estate and hosted by me, Weston Lockhart, and Evan Knowles. This series will focus on the ins and outs of real estate development and investing, where we'll have the opportunity to sit down with the developers of our cities, veterans of the industry, and key people that have over time made a massive impact on communities and neighborhoods. The purpose of this series is to be able to bring a knowledge base to our audience beyond that of what reading a book or watching a how-to video ever could, and educate from those who have done it by hearing their stories, both good and bad, along the way. We feel that historically the learnings of real estate have been inaccessible without being connected, and we would love to open the doors to the next generation of doers as well as shine a light on how visions of community have been brought to life. We hope you enjoy. SVN Stone Commercial Real Estate is a full-service commercial real estate firm located in Lexington, Kentucky, affiliated with the SVN International Network, which is comprised of over 1,600 advisors and staff in 200-plus offices across the globe. Serving the greater Lexington area, SVN offers advisory services for sales, leasing, management, and development of commercial properties locally, regionally, and nationally. With a transaction volume of over $400 million, the advisors at SVN Stone Commercial Real Estate have a vast experience and deep understanding of all aspects of commercial real estate. This episode is also brought to you by Ryan Kaminish and Lucas Owens of the Brokerage Real Estate Advisors. Ryan and Lucas are a Lexington, Kentucky real estate team and dynamic duo specialing in first-time home buyers and first-time real estate investors in and around downtown Lexington. Their partnership allows them to provide a high level of value, service, and communication and connect their clients to great opportunities when it comes to real estate in Lexington, Kentucky. All right. Hey, everybody. You've got Evan Knowles and Weston Lockhart here with the Develop Lex podcast. We're looking forward to this episode. It's going to be with Ryan Foster. So this is an episode we've been looking forward to because we're going to talk all about the development happening in downtown Lexington. Uh, Ryan's been a member of the Lexington community his whole life. He's seen it grow, and he is a big part of the things that are coming down the pipeline in downtown Lexington and Lexington as a whole. Um, he's somebody that is has his hands in a lot of different deals and developments around town. Uh, so he has an amazing perspective that we're looking forward to sharing with you. Everything from the downtown nightlife scene to the soccer stadium that's coming. You know everything that is exciting about Lexington. Uh, he has an inside scoop on and is either a part of it or is friends with the people doing it. So we're looking forward to sharing, again, his insight, his strategies that he's put in place to get to where he is, um, and then his perspective on where Lexington is heading in the future. So Ryan, thanks for joining. Thank you all for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. So we've been friends for a while. Um, so I know some of this background about you, but if you can go over your background for the sake of the audience, uh, you know where you're from, um, and then how you got into real estate uh, to begin with. Sure, yeah. Just in a quick nutshell, the reason I'm alive is my grandfather came to Lexington to go to Transy uh, when Transy had a seminary. He's going to be a preacher. Came here from Detroit and uh, met my grandmother at the Broadway Christian Church there at the corner of Upper and I'm sorry, at the corner of Broadway and Second. And uh, reason I'm alive. So I grew up here in Lexington, went to Taste Creek, went to UK, and uh, now a, a banker here in town and real estate investor. So how would you describe yourself um, to somebody that doesn't know anything about real estate, uh, has never met you, you, you describe yourself as a, as a banker and real estate investor. Is that how you do it? Very much so. Yeah. And in, in, in kind of by default, I became a, a bar owner and restaurant owner and 
just with uh, some different opportunities in that real estate, be became an owner and a small business uh, owner with those properties. Yeah, well, that's why I asked because I knew uh, you know you've got lots of different types of real estate that you play in on top of the banking. So I'm always interested to ask people that question that you know have several different types of investment. Um, but let's talk about you know your first uh, entry into real estate and investing. What was the first property that you remember either buying or being a part of the investment? Talk about that first property. Sure, sure. It was back in 2001. I just graduated from UK and uh, been working at the bank and and seeing what a lot of my clients were doing at uh, the bank was just investing in real estate, flipping properties, investing long-term and so forth. So I bought a property on Irvin Street in Richmond, Kentucky for $14,000 and sold that property for 41000 after I did a little work to it at night after I got off the bank and went from that property on to uh, several others down there in Madison County and then slowly migrated more towards uh, Fayette County. So did you, you didn't have a background on this when you were growing up, you more so just kind of saw what people were doing and picked up on it and thought, man, I want to, I want to do this. Right, right. Not at all. I came from a background of, uh, of go to work, come home every day and wake up and do the same thing. My dad was an IBMer for over 40 years here in town and uh, uh, totally uh, outside of the realm of investing in anything outside of the stock market. So real estate was very foreign to my family, uh, foreign to uh, to anybody I grew up with, really. So it was just a, a chance. Uh, and, and my exposure was purely through the bank and, and seeing what people were doing at the bank and how they were being successful and how they were building wealth. Yeah, so the bank, I guess, was a great entry you know, level uh, opportunity for you to see, you know, and understand the data behind what it means to buy a property, right? Very much so. Yeah. I majored in finance and management at UK and learned quite a bit through uh, the program at Gatton College of Business. But really, I, I, I got my uh, my real exposure through the bank and, and seeing what people were doing to make money, but more importantly, what they were doing to lose money. So I saw both scenarios and, and learned from other people's mistakes. And if I had any insider information from banking, that was it. Just learning what people were doing to lose money. Right. So did you have a consistent strategy? You mentioned there that you bought a property, your first property in 2001. It was a home. And then it sounded like you did some work and flipped it. Was that kind of your early strategy to get cash and get into bigger deals was flipping? Right, right. Early on, I just decided that I was going to try to flip a couple to retain one. And so my, my formula was always the the threefold formula, buy, buy three a month, flip two, keep one, buy three, flip two, keep one, and just keep repeating that over and over again. Because I, I really started by using the equity line on a house that I bought right out. I got right after I got out of school, I bought a house and I got an equity line on that house and um, used that cash to buy the first house for 14000 So I didn't have much cash to start with. And uh, I just kept rolling it over and paying a little taxes on the way. But, uh, but it was provided me the opportunity to grow from residential and then slowly went from single family to multifamily to commercial to development and then on into small business and other things. Yeah. So with that, how did you find deals early in your career and how has that changed over time? Back then, you know, 20 years ago, it it wasn't uncommon to pull up the the MLS, uh, you know, the listings online to see an opportunity of a property that was distressed, something that had some area, some meat on the bone, so to speak, that you could buy and, and flip. Nowadays, it's a totally different world. But back, th- back then, that's how I started, was just finding those opportunities uh, through MLS. And and what would you say? I mean, obviously, as a banker, you get to see kind of firsthand some of the deals that are going on in Lexington and around. How has that kind of changed your strategy over time? 
you know, getting back to the the whole insider knowledge, so to speak, or insider training trading part of banking, it's it's more of seeing trends and not necessarily finding out specific deals, but right. seeing the trends in Lexington and seeing that uh, there's not much land going to be approved for redevelopment. So if you do find a piece of land, whether it's really small or however big it is, take advantage of that opportunity to buy that land that is a that does have an opportunity to be redeveloped and and, and take a chance on it. And that that's the Watching the trends through banking has been has been extremely helpful, but uh, you know, over time, it just that's what I transitioned into was more real estate development, and not just in Fayette County, but surrounding counties as well. And so, I imagine you're at a point in your career where deals are starting to come to you. People are wanting to include you in deals. Is that where you'd say a lot of your new deal flow is coming from? And what does that mean for you as far as your strategy now? I would say I, I've. I've People know that my areas of interest. They know my my different property class of interest. Uh, they they know that I might be willing to take a chance on a property that someone else might not be able to. Uh, I deal in a lot of of estate property. You know, property that's uh, that that someone passed away and the family's wanting to to get rid of quickly, or or they're out of town and they just don't want to deal with it. And that's that's another area that I deal with a lot is is estate property. Um. And, you know, your change and movement towards now developing, you know, you said that you've, and we've talked about this between you and I previously is you'll find uh, a lot that is zoned one way and then you'll, you know, get it, get it changed. And so it sounds like that, that is now part of your strategy where now you're developing property. Uh, How did you get into that? And what's, what's kind of the early stages of that? If somebody's interested in developing, like what's the first steps there? Sure. It's, it's about knowing the community, knowing, knowing the environment of the the political, uh, the political temperature, so to speak, of the area and the climate, so to speak, of what, what people are going to get comfortable with. And really what I did was pull up maps and I saw houses that were surrounded by land that was not, uh, not really, uh, part of an existing neighborhood and, and figured out if there was a way to convert that property to a, a residential, um, use and not really overshooting and trying to go to a higher density, I was always trying to be within the parameters of what was acceptable with the, the, the neighboring property. So if it was single family, I would want to go in and, and not try to get it converted to a high density residential, but try to get residential, single family residential mm-hmm. approved. And so just, just doing what's realistic and not what's the most profitable necessarily, but just doing what makes sense for the area and for the neighborhood. Yeah, I'm sure working alongside the city and some of the officials with the city has helped over time. You kind of understand what, what neighborhoods are trying to achieve and what the city is trying to achieve. Oh, very much so, yeah. And before I close on a property, the due diligence, historically, had always been get a survey, get a home inspection, get an appraisal. Uh, the due diligence changed so dramatically when you got into land development. You go knock on doors, talk to neighbors, talk to council members, talk to the city planners, and see what they're comfortable with. It was much more subjective, less measurable, and, and less calculated. It was more, there's a chance. There's a chance it might go through. There's a chance that I might have a cattle farm in Nicholasville that I'll have to figure out how to be a cattle farmer. <laughs> and that's that's a real possibility when you're buying these properties is, you know, what might make sense on the surface might not be what actually happens at the end of a vote. Talk about, you know, your inner circle. So I'm sure it's grown as your career has grown, as your portfolio has grown. But for an early stage investor uh, that's just getting into real estate, you know, who should they surround themselves with as far as professionals or people that can provide them information or provide them a service? And then how have you seen that change for yourself as your portfolio has grown? 
Sure. The one, the one humbling experience or the most humbling experience as I've grown is, is just basically open up my checkbook, look to see who I'm writing those checks to and realize that I'm writing checks to attorneys, architects, engineers, um, people that move dirt, believe it or not, are the most invaluable in, in, in the form of a development because they know what dirt you can move and what you can't, when to move it, how to move it, what goes under the dirt, what goes on top of the dirt. And the relationships with those folks are, are the strategic partnerships that I've formed over the years. My attorney will be a partner on a deal possibly, and an architect and engineer might be a partner. My my land developer, my my guy that moves heavy equipment is extremely valuable, valuable to projects. And just appreciating the fact that at the end, it's just always remembering that pigs get fat and hogs get slaughtered and that it's okay to take a piece of the pie and share it with all those people involved in your projects. Absolutely. Because if they're involved, they're probably going to give your project a little bit more priority than their other projects. And they're going to want it to be successful because it makes them successful. And that's just a humbling experience I've learned along the way. That's a really good perspective. Uh, that's a amazing tip there. Um, I think I've begun to learn that, you know, early in my career, um, with deal flow, you know, you, if you include if you include people that have certain access to to deals and on yours, then they'll continue to bring you deals. Is one thing I've learned. Exactly. Yeah. So if there was one mistake you've made in your career uh, that you would look back and say, "Man, I really wish I could prevent other people that are beginning to invest in real estate uh, to avoid. If I could help them avoid that, what would be one mistake that you can look back at?" I, it it's it's hard to define, but making a decision with your heart instead of your head. You know, if it if it uh, if it feels right, if it if it just there's something that tells you that you want to do it emotionally because you love an area, you want to do it because you love the tenant, because you love the surroundings. You if something just looks right or feels right, if it doesn't balance on the books, if it doesn't add up, then it's probably not going to work. And that's I've made that mistake, unfortunately, a couple of times. It's just making decisions with my heart instead of my head. What would you say with that would be your least favorite part of working in the space that you're in and working in real estate? There's there's a lot of speed bumps along the way that are out of your control. You can't be in control of everything, and there's a lot of factors that come into play. The There's, there's crazy rules that happened in Arizona just a couple months ago with the a change in a ruling on a stream that really changes things here locally for me. And that just came up yesterday with a, a stream that runs through a property. A blue line stream is now juris, jurisdictional with the Army Corps of Engineers. Historically, it had been part of a decision for an architect or en- engineer. But now that's under control of a whole other um, purview in terms of a government entity. And those things are out of your control and those those are the things that you just you go to bed wake worrying about wake up worrying about and and you just can't control it but um you can be as calculated as you can you can plan as much as you can you can perform as much due diligence as you want to but there's still going to be issues that arise that are totally out of your control yeah makes sense for sure and i think that's in any you know any business um and last question before we shift to you know downtown lexington you know how do you deal with that that, that uncontrolled, you know, that uncontrollable part of the business. You know, I think everybody has different ways of managing their stress or, um, you know, making sure that their mental health is safe. You know, for me as an entrepreneur, you know, it's really hard and you're an entrepreneur as well. Obviously, um, I have ways of, of dealing with my stress. You know, I spend time with family or I go, um, 
and I go, you know, do I mow the grass. I spend time doing things that don't require my brain. Uh, you know, everybody's different. But what do you personally do to help manage that stress? Because it's very stressful, I'm sure, as an investor with so much at stake in the market, you know, with COVID and many other things that have happened that are out of your control. You know, how do you, you know, deal with that? Probably in the worst way possible by <laughs> adding more stress to that stress. That other stress is a diversion to the previous stress. And that's not the right answer. It's not the best answer. It's not what I should do. But I work after I work and then I go to work and that's, that's my drug. It's my diversion it's and, what you and, love doing. and it's uh, not the healthiest situation, but that's what I do. I just move on to the next project, so to speak. But there's probably, there's probably something to be learned with that is that sometimes you just have to move on to the next thing. Right. Right. Yeah. If, if you're not, if you're having a bad day and you, you really scrape your knees on one project, you, you just pick up the next project and just see the light at the end of the tunnel for that project. It's kind of like the goldfish mindset, right? Like you just kind of got to look past it and go to the other side of the fishbowl. Try the best you can. <laughs> well, cool. Let's uh, let's transition to talking about downtown Lexington because there's a lot going on and you're right in the middle of it. Um, so uh, a lot of your attention is on downtown Lexington as far as your investments go and the businesses that you've been starting recently. Why is that? What do you see in downtown Lexington that gets you excited? You know, I don't know the statistics, but I do appreciate and realize that our city doesn't have a water way through downtown. And so what we have to do is we, we created our own epicenter of entertainment in downtown Lexington by being kind of at the core of Tandy Park, and, and that'd be the epicenter, so to speak. Um, I, I saw that early on. I saw it many, many years ago and, and, and wanted to take advantage of that opportunity to be part of that and, and buy property in that area and continue to invest at that epicenter and gradually move out away and outside of that epicenter. But I just appreciate that you know we're, we're a college town at some level. Uh, but we're also, uh, uh, we feed parts of Eastern Kentucky come here on the weekends to stay in our hotels and our Airbnbs and they go downtown to seek that entertainment they can't get elsewhere. And just so people, uh, can identify you, you know, they might not know your name, but they might know what you're a part of and some of your investments and some of the businesses you own, identify some of those businesses so that the listeners can, uh, resonate with some of the things we're about to talk about. Sure. Sure. One of our projects is a court square building at uh, main street the corner of Tandy Park, uh, houses staggering in the basement and Roxy just above that. And, uh, pretty soon a, another bar to be at the top of the building. Um, and then offices in between, uh, and new projects that are coming up, uh, in coming weeks are the, in the clubhouse down on limestone at 385 South limestone, the former Pazos property. Uh, it'll be a, the largest bar in the city of Lexington have two performance stages, um, and a total of five bars within the property. There's also a wedding event venue on North Upper Street that's called The Mark uh, that we just transitioned to Harper Hall, actually. And so it was previously known as Mark, but after COVID, we decided to go with a different name that was a little more catchy uh, with one of my par partner's middle name is Harper. So uh, it's a 12,000 square foot wedding venue. You can hold as many as four or 500 people, depending on the seating. And then uh, the, we're, we're converging some of the other properties we have, and we need and we appreciate the need that we see downtown for additional beds, and not just short-term beds, but long-term beds. And there's some projects coming coming down the line to, to create more beds in downtown Lexington. On the residential side. Yes. Um, and give an idea of your portfolio, uh, maybe unit number. Or how would you describe to somebody you know, your uh, exposure to the Lexington real estate uh, market as a whole? Sure. It, 
not necessarily just in Lexington, but in central Kentucky, probably 150 residential units, uh, commercial units. I, I'd have to put pen to paper on the actual amount of uh, doors as far as rental prop, uh, rental units within that commercial portfolio. And then right now, they're somewhere in the neighborhood of about 300 lots or so, residential lots in central Kentucky. Got it. Okay. And and so all that to say, um, you know, you've grown your career over many years and have lived in Lexington for uh, basically your whole life, right? And so you've seen downtown Lexington change. How has it changed over the years? What are some of the big, big things that you've noticed? Sure. Yeah, I was born at Central Baptist and uh, the embarrassing, I guess, maybe not so embarrassing, but I, I should be more proud of the fact that I've never been away for more than six nights uh, in my life. I travel a lot, but never, I, I reach that fifth night and I'm ready to come home. So uh, I grew up going, living out Takes Creek Road, uh, went to Takes Creek High School, uh, went to church at Broadway and drive down through downtown every Sunday and, and just see how sparse it was. It was definitely a, a downtown that was you work and you go home. You, you didn't really stay after, you didn't stay the weekend, you might go down to watch a UK basketball game. And I've seen that transition to where there's life downtown now. There's there's people going out, there's people that stay out, there's people that live downtown, and it, it's truly become more of a, a, a viable, uh, a, a energy-filled epicenter of a downtown than, than what I was used to in the early 80s. And if, if you go downtown right now, for all the listeners, um, there's a lot of construction Right. So what do you expect the next few years to look like with RUP and the convention center and city center? And how, how does that all that blend together? And what are you excited about with all that? What do you expect it to look like? Sure. You know, we, we, we've got to build our, our, our visitor trips to town. We got to build our, build our tourism. Uh, there's a lot of groups involved with that. Visit Lex is doing a great job, but we've, we've created more hotel space, more hotel beds. Uh, to go back to my previous point, we got to have more long-term beds downtown to really, to house people that can just walk to work and, and it's, it's gotta be affordable living downtown. We, we gotta have somebody that's cooking at a restaurant downtown to be able to afford to walk three or four blocks to their, to their home. And we're not there yet. You know, dirt's expensive in Lexington. We're not creating any more of it and we're not converting what we have to residential because of our horse farms, which I can appreciate as well, but, but we have to figure out to re a way to repurpose a lot of the property downtown to more habitational uses. Yeah, and we've got you know some exciting news just just yesterday. We're recording this on Wednesday, the October sixth, and just yesterday, I think it was announced publicly the soccer team coming. Talk about what you know about that project and what gets you really excited about that. Sure, and it's it's a lot of uh, a lot of questions more than answers right now, but uh, definitely a lot of excitement in the air downtown. You can ask any bar, restaurant owner, any hotel manager how uh, how many nights the UK is playing in in this next season for the fall and spring you take that and you add in soccer um it, it's a real number it's a very serious number it's it's uh it's beneficial and meaningful to all of us downtown Lexington and it's it's not just overnight stays but the folks that are coming in from out of town to to just go to a game go to dinner before or have a drink afterwards it, it's it's a a very positive exciting news for for Lexington and soccer is like the fastest growing sport, I think, in the world. And I've seen, you know, Louisville added a team last year. I've heard great things about Cincinnati and just like the fan base is so dedicated and so passionate. You know, they go and they spend the whole day drinking downtown and they go to the game. And like you said, after the game, they go down and they drink if they won. And they're carrying their flags everywhere. So if we can create that kind of atmosphere and keep it all condensed to downtown and, you know, Manchester Street, I think it's going to be a really amazing project. I agree. 
Yeah, now, big, big Blue Nation transfer as well to uh, to other sports as yeah. in, in soccer. And uh, I've got to give a shout out to my cousin Brad Estes, who's done incredible things at Lou City, and um, it, it's it's that's a testament to what we can do here in Lexington. Maybe at a smaller scale, but definitely um, it, it it'll equate in success. Definitely. Have you connected him to any of the Lexington officials dealing with this for maybe some mentoring? I haven't talked to advice? him since the announcement, but I, I, I'm going to call him tomorrow to see see what he knows. Yeah, I can personally attest. I I used to couldn't have cared less about soccer. I think it ended at five years old at the YMCA, but going to like a Louisville City game or Cincinnati, that's a pretty incredible right. experience. I was a chubby kid that's woofed out on kickball, so <laughs> uh, I watched, but uh, never participated. Uh, and um, the convention center. So that's a lot, there's a lot of construction. I mean, it's crazy how big that is. There was a convention center there before. What's going to change or what are you hearing is going to change? What What excites you about the convention center? Well, we can play with the big boys now. We can we can attract the conventions that we couldn't attract before. But what it also does for for the smaller investors like myself is it creates opportunities for the smaller conventions that took place there that maybe have been priced out, maybe they're sized out. And so what that does is it creates opportunities for us to host those folks that maybe need a smaller place that's more affordable. Uh, maybe at the same weekend that a larger convention's going on, now you have two conventions in downtown Lexington. Uh, if you dial back just a few weeks when Eric Church was in town, you couldn't find a hotel room in the city of Lexington. Well, it wasn't just because Eric Church. A lot of those folks drove home and, you know, maybe not just Lexington, but outside of central Kentucky. But there's also a convention in town. There's also an art gallery hop that drew a lot of folks downtown that wanted to have a hotel room to stay in that night. So the the additional access to that bigger um, convention is it, it trickles down and it's extremely beneficial to all of us that have property that have business interests that want to see downtown succeed. And and you mentioned, you know, the hotels and filling up for, for instance, the Eric church concert. Um, I'm always curious about the Airbnb scene around here. I know you have an Airbnb uh, downtown. What are you seeing as far as activity goes for Airbnb? Is Lexington a good market for it? Could there be a better, scene for Airbnb because I think there's a certain segment of travelers that would prefer an Airbnb. Uh, what are you seeing on that front? You know, COVID had me second guessing all my thoughts on Airbnb, but uh, now that we're out of COVID and people are booking rooms and we've seen higher occupancy now than we did before COVID. So it's very positive. Um, you know, we pride ourselves on a very clean environment, a, a very clean protocol in the Airbnbs and our regimen is, is, is pretty strict in terms of how we turn each each night uh, it turns over. Um, and I think our clients know that, our, our, our customer knows that when they come in. It, it What it does, what those Airbnbs do is it allows us to, to keep more people downtown Lexington when they're coming to visit. We need more of them. But again, I'll keep saying it over and over again, we need more long-term beds somewhere. Yeah. Let's talk about the nightlife in Lexington because that is really important to a city's development. Uh, what are your opinions about how that has changed over time and what could be better about the nightlife in downtown Lexington? There's more opportunities, more choices now, which is great. You know, we, we before, when, when I was in college, you come downtown to go to a bar. Uh, now you come downtown to go to several bars and, you know, I graduated from UK in 2001. So it was 20 years ago, a totally different scene, a totally different environment. And, and what we're doing is we're creating choices. And, and when you have more choices, you draw more people. And, and I think we're going to continue to see that as COVID 
slowly disappears and we see more choices, more opportunities being created and, and just providing different different places for people to go. There's a lot of discussions about whether or not we should dial back the the closing time, you know, from going back from 2.30 back to 1. It wasn't that long ago that we switched from 1 o'clock to 2.30 closing. There's a lot of discussions about that, but uh, we have a vibrant nightlife. We have a, a, a lot of different choices for people to choose from. Yeah, Louisville's, I think, 4.30 or it's way later. Um, I think I'm a fan of 2.30. I think it's a good... Uh, middle ground because I think one would be early and what you'd probably see is people leave the bars downtown and just go to a party somewhere outside of Lexington at a home and then you've got other problems it's not a private residence but then you've got other problems with people driving uh, more I think because I think what ends up happening is people go to the bars at 2.30 I think 2.30 is a perfect time for me personally and then I go home and I sleep whereas if you do it at 1 people are going to be looking for the next place to go and I think that just creates more danger personally that's how I would look at that do you look at that? How would Likewise, you, that? I, you know, I want to keep people from driving as much yeah. as possible. And if, if they're leaving downtown at one, because there's not a whole lot of places where people live downtown, they're going to have to drive somewhere. Uh, we lack in public transportation. Um, and right now we have an issue with Uber and Lyft. I mean, unfortunately, when when the bars spill out and everything closes, there's lines and lines and lines. And sometimes it takes folks an hour to get home. We, we got to find a solution to that. I don't have a, a solution. I don't know what that solution is. You know, two years ago, Uber and Lyft satisfied that. There were a lot of folks that drove for those companies and, and got people home safe. And it just seems like that void hasn't been met, filled yet. So I don't know what that solution is, but I th- transportation and keeping people to, to leave their keys, you know, in their pocket and not driving is, is a, a big concern of mine. Yeah, I think the whole Uber issue is another whole macro problem out in the economy. And I think it's less to do with Lexington and more to do with just, you know, the the labor around the nation is trying to move away from some of that type of work, um, especially for Uber. You know, you're hearing all kinds of you know, horror stories about you know, how poorly they're paid once you take into account many of the other expenses in their life. So I think that's a macro problem. That's an Uber problem, not necessarily a Lexington problem. But I have found alternative transportation by moving close to downtown. I scooter home, which, you know, I don't do it when I'm obviously too intoxicated because that still is, you know, driving under the influence. But it's better than getting a car because I'm really close to downtown. I, I do enjoy the scooters. Can you scooter to Taco Bell at 2.30 or is that 2.4? Um, I don't know. I don't know where, I don't, I'm not a Taco Bell fan, so I don't really, okay. I don't want Scooter or Taco Bell. I want Scooter or Taco Bell. Uh, but more talk about safety here. So there's, you know, safety related to getting people home safely. Uh, there's been some issues downtown related to violence. Um, you're right in the middle of downtown. You own, you own bars downtown. You deal with this daily. You have the contract with, uh, Thursday Night Live. And so you're dealing with Thursday Night Live and the violence that's been happening. What are you seeing downtown um, as far as that goes, um, can you paint the picture? Yeah, it's it's. I think it's a it's a demographically a, an age um, situation. It's younger folks that are under twenty one that that can't get into bars that don't have an alternative uh, place to go hang out and be entertained, and and that's what is happening right now. I think in Short Street and the Pavilion and in areas around there is that there's. Large groups of people coming downtown, under 21, can't get in. They're drinking in parking lots, drinking on the streets, and um, emotions run amok and flare up, and then drama and ensues. And unfortunately, that's that's what I see firsthand. I really think that it is a, a situation of our younger 
folks that are uh, looking for places to hang out, and there's not really an alternative for that that demographic. I feel like it's just kind of like there's been a flip of a switch with COVID because going out before COVID, I never had any kind of exposure or worry about gunshots or knife attacks. Or I didn't, I didn't see it. Maybe it was happening, but it definitely has escalated. What do you attribute? Is it COVID? What do you attribute it to? Like, why are these younger people coming downtown all of a sudden? Well, I'm always going to be defensive of Lexington because I'm partial. And I think the first thing I want to say is just uh, my appreciation of how safe the city is. We're we're an extremely safe downtown. We're an extremely safe city. I think uh, nationally everyone has seen an increase in violence, and it's not just us. We're not immune to national statistics. But but I do see it as being um, a void that's being filled with uh, youth wanting to get out of the house after COVID. When I say youth, it's the the folks that can't get into bars. I keep saying that, but it's when when someone comes into the bar, they're regulated. We can control who comes in, how much they drink. If they're too intoxicated, we don't serve them. It's a very controlled environment, believe it or not, at a bar. We have security in place. People can't get rowdy. If they're rowdy, they're moved, uh, removed from the property. Um, but outside, there's there's not there, those rules don't exist quite to the extent that they would inside the bar. So if they're 21 and up, they come in, they have a safe time. Um, we have security watching them. They're, it's a controlled environment, a more controlled environment. Outside is not. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah, I didn't connect that dot that people have been stuck in their homes for that long, and now they're wanting to get out on the weekends and just go where the activity is. And whether they're of age or not, that's where they're going. They might have friends that are 21 then go in and grab a drink and maybe bring one out and sneak it to them. Who knows? Maybe they're bringing their own bottles. You said you've seen people bringing their own bottles. So that makes a ton of sense that you know now you've got people wanting to get out of the house and just come downtown. Um, let's talk about the future of Lexington. Uh, this is one of the parts that I'm looking most forward to because you're going to have your hand um, in a lot of the future. You know, you're still very young, and I look at you as somebody that is going to be one of the major developers in Lexington if you ch- continue to choose to to have this career. Um, what do you think the city needs? When you look into the next 10, 15 years, uh, what are some things that you can name that you say either I hope this happens in Lexington or I would like to bring this to Lexington? If I had a wish list, I think one of the things on the top of my list are, is retaining the talent that, that we produce from our colleges, Transy, UK, technical colleges, uh, other colleges, uh, retaining that talent here. And I think to retain that talent, we, we have to have places for them to live, places for them to stay. And so how do we repurpose property that's already here? How do we... Uh, tear down and rebuild property that's reached the end of its useful life while also being respectful of the historic nature of that property. We have a lot of property in downtown that is considered historic. So how do we respectfully repurpose that property? So if I had a wish list, wish list, it, it would go to retaining the graduates, keeping them here, increasing our workforce, um, in, in providing places for them to stay from there. 3,000 things expand upon there. They've got to have a place to eat. They've got to have a place to play. they got to have a place to exercise. They have to have a place to entertain. Uh, our soccer venue is going to fill a, one of those needs. But continuing to bring those opportunities to downtown Lexington, to the city center, is going to be important for the future. Yeah, and, and outside of downtown, what, what areas of town do you see the most potential as, as the city starts to grow and we start to retain talent? It'd be hard to pinpoint one necessarily one area. Um, 
there's there's opportunities all over. I think we're going to continue to see conversions of retail property to other uses. You know, we buy so much online, we don't have to go park and go inside to buy stuff as much anymore. So repurposing those and, and reconfiguring how those spaces are used is going to be extremely important. There's a lot of strip centers in Lexington, a whole lot of strip centers. So how do we take those and, and make those viable again in, in creating opportunities for entrepreneurs to have those places to as an outlet for their for their product for their service how about uh let's let's start to talk about uh ending advice here um for the audience you you named some things um that you want to avoid as far as you said make decisions with your head not your heart don't let emotions get too much into it um, but what are some things that you also tell some young investors as far as advice that they should uh, that they should do to get into this game um you know, some things that come to my mind is, you know, for me personally, uh, build as many relationships as you can because the best the best deals don't hit the MLS anymore. They don't hit the market, so you've got to find relationships to source some of those. What what kind of advice like that would you give to investors that you know just want to get started? Uh, strategic partnerships. I, I touched on it earlier, but yeah. just being able to identify those folks that are smarter than you and and appreciating that and using that to your benefit selfishly, um, in in not and realizing that you don't have to take everything, that you can take part of something and appreciate the fact that you can take part of the next something because you took part of the last something. And that's that's hard for some people to do because everybody was wanting to hit the ground running, grow, 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 build a bigger war chest and make that war chest even bigger. Um, how I've been successful is, is I have a lot of partners. I have a lot of folks that I turn to that are a lot smarter than I am. A lot of times I just connect the dots and let everybody else figure out how to solve the puzzle. I don't solve the puzzles. I bring the people to the table that solve those puzzles. And, and being humble in that regard and acknowledging that you're good at what you're good at and there's other people that are better at what they're at. They're, they're good at. Yeah, one of the things that I still laugh about uh, to this day is you and I got dinner uh, one night and we luckily had finished the whole dinner, but you got a text that you need to... Uh, swap out a uh, some kind of tank, a nitrogen tank at a bar. Um, so how do you balance? You know, you're you're a real estate investor. You've got a ton of development, a ton of properties. You're a full time banker, uh, and I was laughing because you left the the dinner uh, and went and switched out a, a nitrogen tank at a bar. Uh, what do you allocate to yourself, and what do you allocate out to partners, and and how do you look at that? Do you say I enjoy getting into the weeds with some of these bars and uh, I don't enjoy this other part of it. How do you allocate your time, manage it? You know, cause I think that's amazing advice to find partners, but you know, how do you manage, you know, what goes to this partner or what goes to yourself? Probably my biggest weakness is not delegating. And it kind of comes with what comes with that is that I would never ask anybody that works with me to do something that I wouldn't do myself. You know, when, when we go back to that very first house I bought in 2001 and on, I think it was 345 East Irvin in Richmond, Kentucky, I paid contractors to work after five so I can learn their trade. I paid an electrician to come in that was a master electrician just so I could see what he did. I paid the plumber to come in late, and I paid him time and a half just so I could learn the process and learn what they do because knowledge is power. It sounds cliche, but now now when I'm getting a quote for a HVAC change out on a rental property, I know if they're in line or if they're not. So likewise with that, even today with the bars, I, I work at – Roxy every Saturday night and I'm there sweating 
in I the middle of it. it. <laughs> I love to be and, like dancing down at the bottom and then I look up and you're running with something on your shoulder, like a big thing of ice. It's like, oh, there goes Ryan. It's like, yeah, that's so cool to see. You have to have your finger on the pulse and that's that's my way of, of having my finger on the pulse. Right now, that's our busiest venue and I'll be there and I'll probably shift gears to Clubhouse when that opens because it'll be our busiest venue. But again, I can't ask anyone to do something that I wouldn't want to do. And, and the best way to know your business is to work your business. And, and that's what I try to do. Uh, with all of our projects. Yeah. Before we got on this interview, we were talking about, you know, how much we enjoy. Uh, well, I, I know I enjoy, I don't know how often you go to the Roxy, but you know, I'm a big fan of the Roxy and uh, what you guys did and nailed was the music. You know, there's been a changes in generations and what music people enjoy. And, you know, I don't think prior to the Roxy, there was a really good bar where you could go and listen to, you know, house music or EDM, whatever people want to call it, club music. And you guys really nailed that piece how have you seen uh, music change and how do you, how'd you make the decision to make sure that that was the type of music that was played? Was it listening to the crowd and, and what do you see it? Like what's the clubhouse going to be? You, you listen to your customer and you yeah. never assume that you know more than they do. And so we, we continued with clubhouse. So you, if you've noticed a lot of our marketing is asking, asking questions, it's not suggesting something or we're going to do this or we're going to force this down your throat. We're asking you what you want to hear in our motto at clubhouse is the house is what you want it to be. And that's kind of true to form. We want it to be what our client, our customer wants it to be. And so it, with Roxy, I, I didn't, I had to Google EDM when I met with a couple guys and they said, we don't have an EDM presence in Lexington and we need EDM. I Googled it and to figure out what it meant. Cause I thought it was some sort of disease. Lo and behold, it's music <laughs> that, makes people move and, and believe it or not, there's lines of people every weekend that are wanting to come inside to move to the music and, and knock on wood. We, we continue to get people moving every week. Yeah. Shout out to uh, Sam White and Jake Doobie. And I'm sure there's many other people that could be named that they're doing just a great job, you know, with, with the Roxy and with clubhouse. Um, Sam's a good buddy of mine. I really respect what's being done. Um, and you're right, you know, the EDM music gets people moving. I didn't, I was not exposed to EDM until I started going to music festivals up in Chicago or when I moved out to Los Angeles and actually got to see what a real club was. Or I went to Vegas and like went to some of those clubs and just like partied my face off and loved it, right? And that and that wasn't possible in Lexington. I think it's a big deal because the younger generation like wants to go to some of those clubs. And I think what people do, this is at least my routine, I see many of my other friends do this, is they'll start somewhere like Centro, and then they'll go to the uh, to Bells and get the rooftop vibe. And then when you're really having a good time and you've got enough drinks in you, then you want to go move and you make your way over to the Roxy. I think that's like, that's the ideal night for me. I don't know about, about you. I know what your ideal night is. Yeah, that, that's like <laughs> that's like my ideal night. And again, I wasn't exposed to that until I lived in Los Angeles. So it's like, I saw how big that was. And when I saw the Roxy open and I... Cause it changed before it was like some kind of like jazz bar. And I went in there and I was just like, this is not it. Like I'm probably not going to come back here again. And then when I saw it completely change, I got really excited because I knew the potential of EDM and Lexington cause it just wasn't happening. But I knew so many people that were demanding that. Um, so like you said, you know, listen to your customer, understand what they want and then make it happen. Um, so off of that, you know, what do you want Lexington to be? You know, the clubhouse is whatever people want it to be, but what do you want Lexington to be in the future? I want people to come here. I want people to come from out of town and, and want to come here for not just horses, not just basketball, not just bourbon. Um, you know, there's statistics about how we're one of the top five bachelor party destinations right now in the country. 
And, and that's, I'm proud of that. And, and I want, I want there to be more reasons why people come here, why people stay here. And more importantly, the, the folks that we're producing, I've said it before, but the folks we're, we're producing from our universities and our colleges and technical schools, I want them to stay here. Thank you for listening to our episode with Ryan Foster. This episode concludes what will be known as Season 1 of Develop Lex, but do not fear as we'll be back in just a few weeks with Season 2 in a star-studded lineup. Please share and subscribe to your heart's desire, and from the Middle Tech team, we truly appreciate your support. Thank you.